So, um, before I was saying that there's uh, a few ways of presenting um, dependence, you know, and that one was three levels of understanding, causal dependence, dependence in part, and uh, dependent designation. Okay. Then another way that His Holiness speaks about it, and when we were in Pennsylvania, this is how he taught about it, he said there were two levels. There was causal dependence and dependent designation, and then within dependent designation, there was what he called mutual dependence and dependence on term and concept. Okay? And so... The dependence on term and concept is pretty much the same as we talked about before. But the mutual dependence, um, again, it's a form of dependent designation, but it's really emphasizing how things uh, arise in dependence upon each other. Okay? So he says that if we look at a seed and a sprout from the viewpoint of causal dependence, the seed causes the sprout. Okay, it goes, the, the dependence goes one way from the seed to the sprout. But if you look at the relationship of the seed and the sprout from the viewpoint of mutual dependence, then the seed becomes a seed in relationship to the sprout, and the sprout becomes a sprout in relationship to the seed. In other words, the dependence goes both ways. You can't have a cause without having a result that is capable of being produced by that cause. And you can't have a result without having a cause that is capable of producing it. So that these two things are come to be cause and effect in relationship to each other. And he was saying that it's not just the label cause and effect that are given in relationship to each other. Okay, because we can understand that pretty well. You know, they're called cause and effect in relationship to each other. But, um, but also because they're uh, kind of like their entity or their what they're referring to. You know, their identity exists in relationship to each other. So then, that was making me think, and here I'll share my ideas with you, is that. It's not just the seed is called a, a cause and the sprout is called a result, but there's like inherently a seed and inherently a sprout. But, you know, this thing, this basis of designation, does not really become a seed, you know, worthy of bearing the name seed, unless there's the potential to produce a result unless there exists the potential for a result in relationship to it. And this thing over here, you know, doesn't actually get labeled a sprout or become, you know, a result until it, without the seed. In other words, it's not like each thing has some other identity that is inherent in it and just the cause and effect part is labeled in, in relationship to each other okay so uh, and then they also give the example of course like long and short you know tall and small 
you know, here in the U.S., I'm considered on the short side. I go to Singapore and I'm a giant. Okay? So, <laughs> so you know, these kinds of things, so many things, you know, are designated independence upon each other. Yeah? And I think in the way that we talk about karma, too, you know, why is something called a constructive action? It's because of the result that it produces. You know, not because inherently it's a, it's a constructive action, but, you know, the Buddha looked at the results and said, oh, we'll call the names of the things that cause this kind of result constructive. And when there was suffering and misery, oh, well, we'll call the names of that destructive. So that constructive and destructive karma got their names in relationship to the kind of results that they produce. And I think this is a very, very different way of thinking about ethical cause and effect than you get in some other systems where there was an external force who decided what was good and bad to start with, and then you got punished and rewarded in response to those. Because that's the dependence, just going, you know, you do this, you get that. Okay? But in Buddhism, the relationship is, what kind of result is it? And we label the cause and dependence upon that kind of result. And so I think, as we think about that more, it really changes our mind because then it's not a thing of I'm going to be good so I don't get punished or I'm going to be good so I get rewarded. Did I say, I hope I said it right the first time, you know, I'm going to get, yeah, I don't want to be bad so I'll get punished and I'll be good so I get rewarded, okay. But because we actually understand, okay, these are the kind of results and this is called negative because of the result it produces. And I don't like that result, so I'm not going to create the cause. And that brings us totally out of this reward-punishment kind of mode, you know, which often can be, can be very mm, limited uh, in, its, in its way, or it can feel very confining. Yeah? And so when we see it in terms of the result, then it becomes a sense of, I want happiness, you know, therefore I'm going to create the, the do the things that bring it. Yeah. I don't want suffering, therefore I'm not going to do the things that bring it. It's a whole different uh, mental feeling, okay. isn't it? Yeah? Mm-hmm. And one of the things, too, I've been thinking about with the Dharma Refuge this winter is that taking the external person who makes this all work I have found it to be really empowering that I have the decision. I have the power to decide what causes I want to create if this is the kind of result that I want to create. Rather than always feeling like I'm at the mercy of something that I don't even understand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that this view actually empowers you because then it's your choice to create the causes for what you want to experience. Yeah. And there's nobody else dishing things out. Yeah, it's kind of along the same lines. It's so fluid. 
understand yeah. because you can take something that most people label negative problems like mm-hmm. sex and because of mind training transform it mm-hmm. and it's not a suffering and a negative right. so it gets so fluid because of this both ways right mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah so this fluidity yeah. And you can, you know, when you get sick, you can say, this is, yeah, you can do taking and giving and say, this is something, you know, good. And then it becomes that way in that mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that same kind of question. And I asked Jim about it. He was saying it fits in this dependent designation one. In the sense... But here it takes it a step further. Because when you just think of dependence on parts in the first thing, it's the whole depends on the parts. But when you think of it in terms of dependent designation, the parts depend on the whole. Another word, um, something does not become an auto part unless there's the auto or the potential of there being an auto. Okay? So I think, you know, it's not just that the car is depends on the parts of which it's made, but the car parts are not car parts unless there's a car. It doesn't mean that when the car parts are in the store and there's just a bunch of wheels standing there, that they aren't car parts because they're not part of an actual car at that moment. Mm-hmm. But it means that because there's potential to make a car out of them, they become car parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And so you have this thing of, of things going both ways. And let me say one thing more. And so I think it's interesting also to see social roles in this kind of way. You know, because sometimes we see roles as very inherently existent. You know, I am a follower. This is the leader. Uh, I am, you know, the employee. This is the employer. You know, we make these roles and social things uh, very rigid. But in actual fact, they exist in dependence upon each other. The employer is not an employer unless there's employees. Okay. And the employees aren't employees unless there's an employer. And it's quite interesting in Aryadeva in the 400 stanzas, he talks about um, leaders not getting arrogant because they need to realize that they're only leaders because other people happen to be followers. That there's nothing in their position in and of themselves that make them special or, you know, this, that, or the other thing. But that there's a social relationship. And because you have these both components of the social relationship and different definitions for each, then they depend on each other. But neither of the social relationships exists inherently. 
So you can see this in any kind of organization. Somebody may be a leader in relationship to some people, but a follower in relationship to other people. Yeah, And that people only have their relationships in terms of, you know, the other people playing the game. Yeah. Yeah, but none of these things are concrete at all. They're all totally dependent on each other. Okay? So again, I think it's very helpful to think of this because then we don't put people in very concrete positions and say, oh, they're just this. Yeah, that's all they are, is this. Yeah. But, you know, they exist in different ways, in different situations. And they exist that way in relationship to me. And I exist in a certain social role in relationship to them. You know, it's like parents and children. You don't have the parents unless you have the kids. And you don't have the kids unless you have the parents. Yeah, they're dependent on each other. So there's different social roles according to each one. Yeah, but they're very much dependent. So I think thinking like this cuts down a lot of our um, anxiety, you know, in how we relate to people of different social roles because we realize the whole thing is dependent. There's nothing concrete in the whole thing.